Oh god. Bourbon. Hey, uh, it's the Tuesday Night Podcast, board game, no, podcast, all about the games we play on, around, and under the gaming table. <laughs> okay, I'm tired, because this is the Board Game Geek Con episode, BGG Con episode. I'm feeling it. Stayed up late last night. How about you, Sean? I'm feeling it too. I'm not feeling like the Gen Con in my bones exhausted, but I am feeling the like sitting down, playing games, talking, exhausted, tired, sleepy. Because BG kind of, you don't have to walk a lot, sit a lot, play a lot of games. Even still, still con, still sleepy. I shouldn't complain at all because compared to Gen Con, because Gen Con is work. But for us, this was just play. We did work. We yeah. did a lot of planning, but not at the con, typically. That was in between the con in the mornings. Kind of what we're doing right now. BGG Con is games, games, games. And I don't think I've played this many games in a short amount of time in years. Even when I go to gaming retreats, which are cabins in the woods, my local game group does that, the Boga Game Retreat, Board Gamers of Greater Akron. I usually find really long games to play and play those. That's where we fell in love with Mythos Tales, and there's a whole bunch of us playing Mythos Tales. But here, it was just one game after one game after one game. Anything stand out the most to you? Game-wise? Well, you know I loved Kamoza. Or do you mean just experiences from the con? Either one. You can talk about Kamoza. I'd say elevator pitch, but damn it. <laughs> it's not in my bones right now. So, Kamoza. Kamoza, I call it boat game. Ding. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. You don't have to. You are a gold-eating rat. Go. No. Oh, gold. <laughs> Welcome to the world of Kamoza. Oh, wow, you're doing it. Go for it. This is good. In Kamoza, there are two ports, an A port and a B port, and each one has a random boat. <laughs> the object of the game is to get the most amount of cargo onto your boat without sinking the boat. You'll all be blind playing your cargo cards, which have different numbers on them, and then blind assigning them to different ports. If your ship carries too much cargo, it sinks and none of you score, and if it doesn't carry too much cargo, you all score the cargo you put in. But that's basically the game. <laughs> its art is like a seven-year-old did it. Boats with googly eyes. It's not good. It's not good art. It's hideous, but you say it's so hideous that it's... Charming. A- it's endearing. It's like somebody did it with paint. So, so bad it's so good. So bad it's good. It's a short game. I mean, it's like three or four rounds. Like, that's not lemonade. Everything's distilled down to the tense choice. How much do I want to put on here? How much can I get away with? Telling people, I'm going to put all my stuff in port A. Don't put your stuff in port A. And somebody's like, I would never do that. And then they flip it over and it's like, oh, yeah, I did that. That boat sinks. Yeah, I felt like no one was telling the truth ever. I'm going to port A. It's like, mm, they're going to port B. Yeah, I thought that was weird because I feel like there's an incentive to be very honest and say, like, I put 15 down. I'm going on port B. Use that math in your head. Use the table talk to your advantage. I think the other game that really hit me probably... Senators. Oh, yeah. Ricky Tata and his father mm-hmm. made this game Senators. And we played with Travis Worthington of Indie Board and Cards. Really cool. 
surprising. It was relatively quick. I want to say it was 30 minute game. What are you in this game? You're trying to influence the senators. You're like oligarchs. You're like rich people in ancient Rome who are trying to buy up senators. So you're just trying to influence senators and the way you do so, it's a bidding game. The actions, you have an auction, an extortion, and a cash-in action. Those are your only actions you take in your turn. On the auction, though, you force all the other players to bid on resources. And then once they've done that, you decide whether you're willing to pay that amount for the resource or force them to pay the amount they bid for the resource. So you have all the power in that decision, which is really cool because somebody could bid really low for something. And you say, you know what? I'm going to take that for that low price. Or somebody can bid on everything really high, trying to force you to give them money to pay for those. And they'd say, you know what? You bid too high. I don't want them. You've got to pay for them. And now all of a sudden you've bid on all the stuff that you can't afford. And the extortion action is the same way where you're going around telling the other players, I want five for your cows. I want 10 for your lumber. I want five for your governor or whatever. And they either decide to pay you and then they get to keep their stuff. Or you pay them and they give it to you. It's just extortion. It's extortion. Yeah, because when you win things, it goes in front of you, not in your hand. So you can see what other people have and say, I want that cow. I don't even think the cow's in a game. Probably not. No. But cash in is when you actually get senators. Anyway, point of the game. It's very cool because it's so interactive. You won that game. Yeah. I did, yeah. I think one of the cool things is every type of bidding mechanic or a lot of bidding mechanics are in this game. There are these event cards that go off every turn and each of them has like a new little bidding mini game. They had like a Dutch auction where you start high. We're going to sell a senator for 15. They're only worth 10. Does anyone want 15? No to 15. No to 14. No to 13. No to 12. And then the guy at 11 saying, if I don't take it for 11, the guy after me might take it for 10, which is exactly what the value is. There's a war and we all have to silently bid a certain number of money. And if we don't bid above 20, then the person who bid the lowest loses a senator. But if we do bid above 20 collectively, the person who bid the highest gains a senator. So every little type of bidding auction mechanic is in this game, which is kind of cool. Yeah, they did a really good job. The event deck really added a lot to it. It really taught you all these different ways that you could bid an auction. So I think this is the purest auctioning game or dirtiest auctioning game because it has every form of auctioning possible. It was educational for me. I never even heard of a Dutch auction before. Uh, what about stinkers for you? What was like, oh, man. So I wouldn't call this a stinker, but it definitely was disappointing. Nikki Schultz is a stinker. No, Nikki Schultz, Donald Schultz, and Anthony Birch and I played Twilight Imperium 4th Edition together. None of us ever played Twilight Imperiums before, and we figured if we were going to play it once and then move on with our lives, but we wanted to play it. Donald's own 3rd Edition never played it, so we got together one morning and just set aside 8 hours to play it. Everybody was warning us, oh, you won't be done by midnight. So this was in the great gaming hall, so you went to the game library, checked out 4th Edition TI. Everyone's looking around at you, or did you guys go to a private room somewhere? This actually worked out perfectly. Donnie, who used to work over at Plat Hat Games, we saw him in the hall and we said, hey, we're going to run Twilight Imperium. We're about to go check it out from the library. And he said, well, I scheduled a Firefly game in one of the private rooms for the next eight hours, but nobody showed. So you could just go up there and say that it's your room and you decided to run Twilight Imperium instead. And so we had a private room on the 11th floor. We brought in snacks. It was just us for the whole day. Perfect for having the space and time. And the big thing about Board Game Geek is people are constantly interrupting when you're playing games. Yeah, especially because you're such a big celebrity, Sean. But you're playing with Anthony Birch from Hey Ash, What You Playing, designer of World Championship Russian Roulette. 
Nikki and Donald Schultz and Chris Bryant of Board with Life. So people are coming up, they're recognized, obviously, I'm exaggerating, famous, but at the same time, yeah, they're well known within the community and it's very incestuous. We see the same people every year. It's camp. And so we're hanging out with the owners of Plaid Hat Games and Indie Board and Cards and Stronghold Games, had dinner with Stephen Blunt, of course. So yeah, inevitably, as you're playing a game, someone's going to come up and say, hey, but you guys were able to get away from all that crazy razzmatazz. So anyway, I wasn't there yet. You guys get a private room, 11th floor. You're playing Twilight Imperium. Go. So we went through the rule books. So we all sort of divvied up the work. One of us handled setup, one of us handled components, one of us handled reading the rules, one of us handled just like blazing through the rules and getting like a rough idea of what was going on. I don't mind like a long, hard, heavy game. It's not necessarily my first choice because I'm always the host. And so I'm having to think about what other people would like to play. But if it's other people who are like down to play a game like that, I'm perfectly happy. I played that giant Civ mega game a year or two ago that was like 24 hours. Fun is fun to me. So we get into it. And we're having a good time, and it's starting to make sense to us. It really feels like the Star Wars prequels. You've got all these empires and a galactic senate, diplomacy and taking over worlds and all that sort of stuff. But the thing that struck us was it felt very swingy. About four hours in, and people said it can be a quote-unquote tight four hours. They've really streamlined a lot, and you can play the game in four hours. The object of Twilight Imperium is to get ten victory points. You get victory points by scoring objectives. And objectives are just little cards that could be secret or public that are like, colonize ten planets, go to war with another planet. Trade 10, trade goods, that sort of thing. So you just have regular objectives that you have to score. By the third or fourth turn, which is, you know, a few hours, Nikki, Donald, and I have one or two victory points each. And Anthony has nine. Now, we don't know. The biggest thing we think could have been the problem is Anthony picked a very, what we'd call standard race, like starter pack race. With he was a space lions. Space lions, exactly. And he had a very clear engine that you could discern from these, like, giant player cards. It was like, you have trade, go trade, 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 trade. Whereas Nikki played a techno virus and I played space ghosts. Donald played some other kind of aggro race. And we were still figuring out our engines by the second or third turn. Anthony dominated. He did a great job. Don't want to take that victory away from him. But all of us after the game were like, man, we all thought we were only a quarter, a third of the way through the game, but it turned out we were at the end. And so all that interaction, the grand battles, the wars, the huge arguments, we didn't run into. Now, we could have played it wrong, we could have misunderstood something, or we could have not engaged the way the game needs to be played. Like, if you go into a game of terms and a boom, and you don't talk to anyone, and you don't really make an effort to corral your forces, you could go through the whole game and be like, maybe I just played it wrong. And somebody had to say, like, yeah, you need to go talk to that guy, you need to sort of convince this person to be leader. That was the experience we had. I'd love to play it again with somebody who knows what they're doing, or could explain maybe where we went wrong. I don't know if the four of us would play it again. Because the cool thing is, in the moments where it's working, it really does feel grand. You're really controlling an empire. But the moments where it's not working, what did I do wrong? Did what? Did I Should I have attacked you on turn one? Should I have just gone for your throat? Or should we all have dogpiled on you as soon as you were at three or four points? It's hard, where you don't know. There's a game like Senators, we've got basically the same principle. You want to get the most senators, so the most victory points. It's very clear because you have options like take a senator from the person who's in the lead. There's a lot of discussion about, well, he's got that card. You should extort him and take that card because he's really hurting all of us. I think because the mechanics in Senators are so much fewer, it's easy to encourage that kind of talk. Where in Twilight Imperium, in your first game, you're just trying to keep on top of everything. You Am I doing this right? Right. Am I screwing up the game? Am I forgetting any rules? Exactly. You don't have time to necessarily think, on top of all that, we should all be committing all of our resources to attacking a guy who's two, three, four, five, six, seven ahead of us. Oh shit, he just won the game. So that's not my stinker, 
but it is, you know, because we had some games where I opened up, cracked the rule book, and we're right. like, fuck this game. Those are real stinkers. But it is my disappointing game where I was like, I wanted to love this. I can see a game that I would love on the horizon, but it didn't pan out for us. I got to play a lot of games with you this weekend, Sean, and I enjoyed Clank in Space. What do you think of Clank in Space? Clank in Space. I never got to play the original Clank. I have a weakness for deck builders, meaning I love them. When someone says, you want to play this game? And I'll ask what type of game, and they say, blah, 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 deck building, but in, in, just because I love it. I propose to my now wife using Ascension, and I play Ascension still on the phone all the dang time. So I love the idea of deck building being an engine. You described it pretty cleverly. You said it's what meets what on a what? It's dungeon meets, what was the deck builder I said? You said it's dungeon meets Deep Sea Adventure. Because in Deep Sea Adventure, that oink game, you all are sharing a submarine because you're on a budget and couldn't afford your own submarine. So you're kind of doing this hostile kind of outsourcing of a single submarine and going down to try to collect treasures at the bottom of the ocean. But you're sharing oxygen. The deeper you go and the more you're carrying, the more oxygen you use. So people have to come back before the oxygen runs out. So in Clank, in in space, space. and from my understanding, Clank, the original as well, you are going down into a dungeon, confronting monsters, and you're trying to get an artifact and bring it out. But the problem is you're making noise, hence Clank, and the more noise you make, the more likely you're going to get damage because you're drawing attention to yourself and monsters are going to attack you, even the big bad boss monster. So you want to be as quiet as possible, but you also want to be quick as possible because more and more monsters are going to be drawn to you as the game goes on. But Clank in Space Space. was interesting because it had locked doors and teleporters and conveyor belts. It had the space theme. What do you think of the space theme, Sean? I liked it because the word Clank to me isn't very fantasy-oriented anyway. And the idea of running around this spaceship, Clank, 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 with these aliens and hacking terminals and all that stuff, it played perfectly to me. I feel like I'd prefer it to the fantasy version. I haven't played the fantasy version, but I would just play Dungeon, which is like a simpler, probably not nearly as well-designed game. But the theme and the mechanics work perfectly together in my mind. One of the big differences we were told between the original Clank and this Clank is the original Clank had a double-sided board to change the dungeon layout. Because I imagine that decreases replayability if it's the same map because you probably have an ideal path. I'm going to go this way because I can get this random item. This is the quickest route. This is the route that gets the most items. So I imagine playing that same map over and over and over again, you would probably have an ideal route through which you would go. But in Clank in Space, space. it has a double-sided module board. So it has all these different pieces that you can flip over. So instead of just one board front and back, you have something like six little boards that fit together like puzzle pieces I thought it was funny because it's been a long time. I'd like to believe that I've had one of these emotional reactions. I had a flip the table moment that lasted three, five seconds. Do you remember that? We had a gentleman who was working at the exhibit hall. They were exhibiting Clank in Space. Space. We wanted to sit down because then we don't have to learn the rules. They can teach it. And we're learning as we go. And one of the things I was doing was I was getting rid of the Clank cards from my deck. So I was making no noise. I was avoiding combat so that I could take all the time in the world. Because the only rush is you get more and more damage as time goes on. 
And so you have to get the artifact and get out before you die. But I wasn't taking any damage. I'm like, okay, this is fine. This is my strategy. But then Sean dies. But once you did die, do you remember what he said? Do you remember what this gentleman told us? I mean, I remember, but I remember from my perspective, he just said like, all right, and now you get to draw four cubes out of the bag every turn, which basically means now that I'm dead, all the monsters are attacking more often, the stakes are higher, everybody's having a chance to be attacked every turn now. Yeah, so basically, instead of Sean taking his turn, all the monsters attack. And this is represented by pulling cubes out of a bag, and if your color is pulled, you get attacked. And when you make noise, you put a cube of your color in the bag. Anyway, I totally appreciate that you should only teach rules as they needed to be known. So he didn't want to bog us down in the beginning by explaining that little rule, once you're dead, this is what happens. But he left it as a surprise, because Sean's like, oh, I'm dead. But wait, because now the game changes a little bit, because now every round, instead of your turn, the monsters attack. And internally, I thought, you don't think this would have been good to know, because I had a case of, if I had known Itis, then I probably wouldn't have done this strategy of taking as little damage as possible and taking my sweet-ass time going down the dungeon cautiously and then going for the most valuable artifact and coming back up. I would have put a little bit more hustle into my game. But I internalize that, not a big deal. But then there's this thing with the conveyor belt. <laughs> so the thing with the conveyor belt is, he had told you, Sean, when you were playing, you get on the conveyor belt, and then the conveyor belt basically teleports you through the map. So with only two moves, you can move exceptionally far into the map. I can't believe I'm telling this story. It's so dumb. I remember asking him, wait, does your turn stop when you go on to the conveyor belt? Because one of your currencies is movement, and you had something like five movement, and you went one, two onto the conveyor belt, and then he moved off the conveyor belt. I thought you had to stop. And he said, no, 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 that's fine. Because then he did it on his turn. So then it was my turn, and I'm scared now because Sean has died since then. And I use the conveyor belt, and I step off the conveyor belt, and he says, oh no, once you get on the conveyor belt... You have to stop there. You can't move off. And like a child, I had this immediate response with all the disgust and anger and tone in my voice. I said, but you said we totally couldn't get off the conveyor belt. That's how Sean did it. That's how you did it. And then I realized, like, wait, wait, calm down. <laughs> it's just a stupid game. And he apologized, right? He was like, oh, I'm sorry, sorry. All right, all right, yeah, no problem, no problem. But I felt horrible because there was that moment. How was that for you, Sean? Was it awkward? Like, uh-oh. Dad's threatening to turn the car around. Well, I mentioned this to you last night, which is that, like, I'm not super great at board games. So it's very hard for me to visualize at the beginning of a teaching game what my strategy is going to be long term. I'm just kind of taking it as it goes because I don't know if something could change or if I could misunderstand something. I'm not sure. Alan is very good at board games. So is Anthony Birch, it turns out. I think what happens is if you're very good at internalizing rules quickly, you start making all these plans in the future based on the information you know. So it's a lot more affecting to you when those change in a teaching game, because to you, it's not a teaching game. You've learned it. It's like you're in a real game now. So it wasn't like weird or anything. It was just like, well, you know, it's our first game. None of us really know how to play. But I imagine you, it's like, I know how to play. I've been playing it quote-unquote, right, the whole six turns based on the information I had. <laughs> You're giving me different information because I was already suffering from had I known itis, which was... <laughs> and this guy was a nice guy. He taught it really, really well. Yeah. He did, except with those two things. Don't you think 
I would have liked to have known that when someone gets eliminated, it makes it exponentially harder for me to get out of this damn space station. And then when he did that, I'm like, you turncoating motherfucker. <laughs> you said you could do that when it was convenient for you and for Sean. Don't you freaking change the rules when it's me. <laughs> anyway. We uh, had a lot of experiences like that over the weekend where rules change. You don't know where somebody cheats. You know, we played Dragon lots Castle. Lots of apologies. Yeah, lots of like, whoops, I've been doing that wrong for three turns. Could have happened in Twilight Imperium. There was right. constantly stuff like that. So to con like this with a teaching game, and really in any game, you have to be like, well, try not to do that again in the future. If you're only going to play once, though, and this was an hour-long demo, we're, like, invested. It starts to matter more. But, yeah, I, I get it. It's it's tough. I actually really appreciate it because I feel like it's been so long since I've had that. I'm laughing about it now, and I laughed about it then. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Look at me. I'm one of these kids over again. What am I going to do? Pin him against the wall and shake him down for his lunch money? You owe me, bro. You owe me. It's a good sign that you enjoyed the game because you were really invested in the outcome. It's a stressful game. I died. I could have expected any card in there. We would have flipped over in the deck and it would have been like, everybody take 20 damage. Like I literally had no idea what was going to happen turn to turn. So I think it's a good sign that the game got you so invested in the world that you really cared about the outcome, even after a demo. Because how many demos have we taken where somebody's like, and then you get three cards from the action deck, and each action allows you to take four move counters. Oh my god, I don't care what happens in this game, please let it be over. So I think it's a good quality of Clank that very quickly you felt invested and that the stakes were real. I do want to talk more about games, but I want to talk about... How awesome it was that we had some boomers and even some knaves and some strangers come by and play the traditional Saturday two rooms and a boom with us. Now, apparently, two rooms and a boom was going on every night by the elevators. If you go to BGGCon, you pretty much know what we're talking about. There's elevators on the ground floor where food services are throughout the entire day. But at nine o'clock, they pack up. And we come around Saturday, but it's happening every night. People came around, they played Fairy Tale Betrayal, they played Two Rooms and a Boom. It was so cool seeing everyone. All right, I did my dues. I shouted out my thanks to everyone for showing up and playing. It's always really a rewarding experience and invigorates. Uh, best part of BGG Con besides the game, Sean. You and I did a lot of work, got a lot of things ironed out for 2018, so that's the most edifying and fulfilling in terms of just feeling like we really accomplished something with our time together. And then, of course, this is probably the most games I've played at BGGCon with you or anyone else. It was really nice to just sort of guilt-free, just knock out a bunch of games. Really had a good time playing games with you and everybody else. I really liked the amount of playtesting we got done with That's Not Lemonade, and it became very requested. And I think universally people like the theme That's Not Lemonade over you, Mad Bro. Yeah, I, I really like it too. Again, it's like the goodbye for the season. But, hey, we'll be back next week with even more Tuesday Night Podcasts. So please email us. We're behind again on our Nave Tonight submission. So we'll be posting more of those. So please contribute yours by sending an email to podcast at TuesdayNightGames.com. I'm Alan Gerding, A-L-A-N-G-E-R-D-I-N-G. D-I-N-G. You can find me on the tweets, on the Facebook. What about you, Sean? I'm Sean McCoy. You can find me on Twitter at S-E-A-N-M-C-C-O-Y, though I've been taking a bit of a social media... No one cares. <laughs> you can follow the podcast on Twitter at PlayTKG. We also put some news up there every once in a while. But hey, thanks so much for listening, and I believe this episode is... Finished. Or you can do the gold-eating rant. <laughs> <laughs>
finished. <laughs>